he has come. He has come. And our life has absolutely changed and our futures are now marked with hope if we trust in Jesus. It's so good to see you here. I'm glad that you've come to worship with us. And since the beginning of August, we've been in a series. If you've missed out, that's okay. Uh, you don't have to play catch up. We'll, we'll go through it a little bit here. Our series has been on something I've called Lostology. Jesus referred to people who were spiritually disconnected from him and from uh, our Heavenly Father. He, he described them as lost. And I think that is an excellent term. Of course, it's Jesus giving it, so I'm not going to try and debate with Jesus and say he should have picked something else. You might do that, but I won't. But I think it's so uh, helpful for us because when we realize something is lost, it means that something belongs somewhere and it's not there. Uh, it's somewhere, but it should be somewhere else. And it ascribes value to it when you'd call something lost because it's not been thrown away. It's not been tossed out. It's missing, and we're looking for it. We want it back. And so Jesus calls those who are spiritually disconnected from God lost. They're in the wrong place, and he wants to bring them back. So the purpose of this series for us has been to study lost people, to study who the lost are, how they got that way, and how we can help bring them home to Jesus. And this is among the most important topics or subjects we could t discuss as a church family because we are surrounded by lost people. And our grand mission that we've been sent on as followers of Jesus is to seek and to save the lost. So that's why it's so important for us to discuss. God's desire is that we would join him because God is right now at work seeking to save the lost, and he wants us to join him in that mission. But more often than not, we live as if the lost people living among us are not really there. We live as if people who are spiritually disconnected from God don't matter to God. And so they don't matter to us. But that couldn't be farther or further from the truth. As a matter of fact, Jesus declared his mission in uh, Luke 19.10, where he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we've seen over the last three weeks that what most gladdens the heart of God is whenever the lost come home. What most gladdens the heart of God is whenever a sinner repents. So we have the experience of uh, being spiritually lost because the scriptures tell us we are all born lost. We are all born separate from God. But I'm afraid that some of us have been found for so long that we forget what it's like to be lost. And our misconception about what it means to be spiritually disconnected from God has uh, led us to reach out to people in probably some wrong ways. Or maybe to uh, start some conversations and talk about topics maybe in the wrong way. Fumble around in our conversations with people who are far from God. That's why it's become important for us to study lostology. People who are spiritually disconnected from God. We need to be reminded of the laws of lostology that we've looked at over the last few weeks. Um, they come from John Cramp's book that I mentioned to you before, Out of Their Faces, Into Their Shoes. And I've covered a few of these laws of lostology, things that we need to know if we're actually going to be successful or we're going to be helpful um, as we live on mission with God. And uh, so I just want to review some of those laws of lostology because I think it'll help us as we choose to step into living on mission with Jesus. First of all, I, I told you or we were reminded that it is easy to get lost. I'm sure some of you could attest to that, you know, um, just uh, yesterday. We were out at a place we've been several times, and Rachel missed the turn, and we just kept making the circle. So uh, we know what it's like. It's easy to get lost, isn't it? 
And I've noticed there are a lot of things that happen automatically in life um, unless I take specific steps to prevent it from happening. Uh, This might come as a surprise to you, but it is not hard for me to gain weight. I know for some of you, that's a challenge to put on weight, but for me, it comes naturally. It's just something I can fall into easily, doesn't take much work, but it sure does take a whole lot of deliberate decisions and a big plan in order to lose weight. Because some things, you're just easy to fall into. Gaining weight's one of them. I also find that uh, it's really easy for me to forget my passwords. Does anybody else have that problem? You know, I think it's because they're constantly asking me to change my password, a new combination of how many letters and numbers and special characters. If I don't take deliberate um, action in order to remember my password, I'm going to be recovering it every time. And uh, it seems like a lot of our messages back and forth are Rachel asking me, what was the code that just got sent to you so she can type it in? So there are just some things that are just easy. They just happen naturally. Well, being lost is one of those things. It is easy to get lost. And unless somebody takes deliberate action to prevent being lost, then they're going to stay far away from God. A second law of lostology is that when you're searching for the lost, the search becomes a priority. Maybe you'll remember as we studied through the parable of the lost sheep, when the shepherd realized he only had 99 sheep, he immediately rearranged his priorities. Because one was missing. It didn't matter what else he had to do. He didn't matter what else was uh, important or the things that he put on his to-do list uh, the day before. Right now, he immediately had to transition and go into search mode. Because a search takes priority. And that leads to the third law. The reason that a search takes priority is because a search is urgent. Because the lost are in danger. The sheep was in danger of losing its life. There were predators. There were all kinds of ways it could get trapped or lost or injured. And so it was urgent to go and find the sheep. It's the same thing for those who are spiritually disconnected from God. It is an urgent matter because they are, it's a grave danger that they're in. (laughs) Because if they lose their life, they're separated from God forever. So a search is to take priority because those who are lost are in danger. A fourth law that we looked at is that you can be lost and not even know it. In fact, that's uh, uh, going to be illustrated in a clear way in our message today. Uh, That you can be lost and not know it. Um, I'm sure you've been there before um, where you've been in a situation and you thought that you were exactly where you needed to be only to find out this is the wrong place. I've showed up at the wrong room or whatever it might be. So you can be lost and not even know it. The fifth thing I said is that um, searches are to be lost-centered, not searcher-centered. When we're searching for someone who is lost... It makes no sense that we would just post signs and say, hey, if you're lost, come find us. If somebody's lost, our responsibility is to go and find them, to meet them where they are, to think about what it would take for them to be found. So a search is to be lost-centered, not searcher-centered. Sixth, we're reminded last week that being lost can be fun. Um, We sometimes imagine that everyone who is lost is just preoccupied with how miserable they are, but... uh, We know that sometimes being lost can be fun. Um, Now, it may be fun on credit. The bills may come due at some point, but being lost can be fun. So we should be alert to those who are lost and maybe having fun, recognizing that soon the bill will come due. And we ought to be ready in that moment to point people to Jesus. seventh thing I said is admitting your loss is the first step in the right direction. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm out driving, and I find myself not in the right place, it takes me forever to admit I'm actually lost, right? 
It's like, well, I'm just not where I should be. Um, and, and in fact, if my wife's asking me, are you lost? It, absolutely not. I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am. I've seen this tree before, right? But um, the first step in the right direction is to admit you're lost, to say, okay, put the address in the GPS. You know, we'll find our way back, right? It's the same thing spiritually. When I finally am willing to admit, yes, I am in fact spiritually lost, that's taking a step in the right direction. Finally, we were reminded again last week, we are always to celebrate when the lost are found. I'm so glad we got to celebrate this morning with Believer's Baptism, and I'm so glad that we celebrate with them um, as uh, that they just demonstrate to the world that they have come, left, they've repented of sins, and they've turned to Christ for salvation. That's an important thing for us always to celebrate, and we're going to see that illustrated very well today in our message. We're going to turn once again to Luke chapter 15. We're going to finish up the chapter today, and um, there's one overarching question for us to consider. And it's this, what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church who is seeking to find the lost? Are we going to be, or are we going to be a church that is just obsessed with taking care of ourselves? Thinking that we are only here for one another and never considering those who are far from Christ. In Luke 15, Jesus reveals to us the heart of the Father towards the lost. Now, we've called this chapter over the last several weeks God's lost and found department. Um, the chapter opens with um, a, an average day in the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is out in ministering among the people. He's teaching. He's perhaps healing. Um, he is ministering to those that are in need. And um, as usual, a crowd begins to gather. And it's interesting to note that the people who are most attracted to Jesus and his message are people that we would identify as being far away from God. The people who were least interested, so to speak, in God or in temple or in right living are the ones who are precisely drawn to Jesus and his message. The scriptures call them sinners and tax collectors. This is the kind of the groups of people who we would have identified as most spiritually lost in the culture. So they've drawn near to hear Jesus speak. Jesus has received them. And right on their heels comes this other group. Verse 2 of chapter 15 says it's the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the religious elites in Jesus' day. If you were going to try to pin, uh, point, pinpoint who were the people most um, trying to be close to God and live like God would want them to live, we would pinpoint the Pharisees and the scribes. And they were showing up to see Jesus not because they were drawn to his message, but they wanted to catch him. They wanted to catch him doing or saying something wrong so that they could put a stop to his ministry. So they've gathered near and they've noticed this tax collectors and the sinners are there listening. And they're, they're drawing close and Jesus is accommodating them. And so they begin to grumble is what the text says. The text says they begin to grumble because here he receives them and he dines with them. And so as a direct response to the grumbling of the, and the, the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus tells three stories, three parables. Uh, these are not true stories. They are made-up stories. Jesus is trying to make a point, and he's making the point by telling a story that perhaps the people could identify with. And he opens the story with a shepherd who leaves his 99 safe sheep in order to go and find the one that is lost, and he searches for that sheep until it's found. And when he brings it home, he gathers his friends and his neighbors and says, Celebrate with me, for this sheep that was lost has now been found. And Jesus makes his point here. He comments. He says, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 who need no repentance. He immediately pivots and tells another story. 
And there was a lady, and she noticed that she was missing one coin. And what would she do? She would light a candle. She would pull out a broom. She would start to sweep until she found that one missing coin. And once she found it, she gathered her neighbors and friends and said, Look, I found my coin. I've recovered the coin that I've lost. I've lost. Celebrate with me. And they do. And Jesus says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then Jesus tells one final story, and that's where we left off last week. Uh, it's this time it's about a man who had two sons. The younger one asks his uh, father for his inheritance. He takes the inheritance and he heads off into the far country where he squanders it away. He spends it on loose living. All the things that you can imagine. It's, it's, it's a Vegas tri type trip, right? What happens there stays there. All your money stays there. So all of his money lost there. And uh, he's desperate. He's hungry. There's a famine. What's he going to do? He comes to his senses and he says, you know what? I bet my dad would hire me. And if he might hire me, then maybe I would have food rather than starving like I am in this situation. So he goes home, comes to his senses, starts to return home. His father sees him coming home from a long distance off, the scripture says. The story says that he ran to the son, he embraced him, and he just poured his affection out on his son. Now a son is saying, hey dad, I just need a job. Uh, could you please forgive me enough just to give me a job? And he doesn't even pause to listen. He calls for the servants to bring a robe, to put a ring on him, to give him the sandals. And then he says, and, you know, find the best steak. We're going to have a party tonight. And they throw this huge celebration. And um, all because of this. So that, that, that's, it's an amazing event. It's something that is so emotional. And if we stopped or if Jesus stopped the story right here, we would love it. We'd be like, that is so incredible. It's an emotional thing to see how the father is drawn towards this son who's been missing. But our focus in this story has always been on the thing that's been missing. The one sheep, the one coin, the one missing son. But what about those other 99 sheep that didn't wander off? What about the other nine coins that stayed right there in the hand like they should have? What about the one son that didn't wander off into the far country? This is where we're going to focus this morning as we conclude our series from Luke 15, a message entitled Finding the 99, 9, and 1. So if you have your Bibles, and I sure hope you do, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to finish the chapter off for you as we read verses 25 through verse 32. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. Would you make it live to us today? 
Might we see ourselves in the text? Might we see you, oh God? Help us to see Jesus in your living word today. Make it live to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the text, Jesus responds to the grumbling Pharisees and scribes with three stories to illustrate God's love for lost sinners. Not only does God love lost sinners, he also loves self-righteous people. And he loves them enough to even confront them and let them know just how lost they actually are. So we're going to consider God's loving words to the self-righteous older brother in our message under headings of unimpressed, unsympathetic, and unresolved. We'll begin at the beginning First thing we see here is the older brother is unimpressed with the father's generosity. You know, the parable of the prodigal son or lost son would be great if it would have stopped before we came to the end. But Jesus' primary motivation is not just to tell us about God's heart for the lost. His primary motivation was to respond to the Pharisees and the scribes that were gathered around him listening and watching what he was doing and how the tax collectors and sinners were being welcomed and greeted and um, the message that they might enter the kingdom of heaven is being given to them. And so they're grumbling. Jesus is responding to them with those stories. And so here he specifically begins to speak to them. That's why we get act two of the story. Two sons, now we finally meet the older brother. And he sounds and acts a lot like those Pharisees and those scribes that were gathering around Jesus and grumbling about what he was doing. Now, the older brother didn't know what the celebration was all about at his father's home until the servant tells him, you know, your younger brother, he's come home. Your father received him back. He's so excited. And so the older brother, how does he react to that? The text says he became angry. Now, we don't have to stretch our imaginations to wonder why. Because I think we can all, if we're honest, identify with the situation. We too have found ourselves in a situation where we felt like we were doing what was right and what was good. We were trying to, you know, walk the straight and narrow. And all of a sudden, somebody who's wandered off, done everything wrong, is received back without any sort of repayment needed. He doesn't have to work his way into the grace of God. And and, and so we, we can identify with why this guy is so upset. You know, it's good for someone to be kind and to be gracious, but we're kind of bent towards justice. We're bent towards equity. What's fair? That's not really fair, right? What sort of benefit is there for us when we live the upright life, but the one who wanders off, squanders his estate with loose living, gets grace? How's that fair? That's the position of the older brother. And if you're honest... I imagine there are many of us in the room today that can identify with that in certain situations. The older son had no interest in participating in the celebration. He had no interest in dining with him over this situation. The text says he's not willing to go in. So not only is he um, sending a message to his brother, he's also sending a message to his dad. It's an offensive thing. He kind of brings shame upon his father. Because this is a celebration he should have been there and been a part of help hosting. I'm not coming in. And so we have the father who comes out. For the second time in a single day, the father has to take shame upon himself in order to reconcile with one of his children. The first time is whenever he runs out there to greet his son who came back. And now all of a sudden the one who's been here who's uh, self-righteous about the whole thing, he has to go out and beg with him to come in. And what we learn is 
the price of reconciliation is high. It's not cheap to reconcile. It costs us to reconcile with somebody. Somebody who's caused a rift in a relationship with us. The father in the story demonstrates the steps that our heavenly father takes to reconcile with mankind. It's two words, two, uh, you know, two words that we might use in theology. The first is incarnation. He comes out. He steps into the place, right? Just like Jesus came, cost him to come from heaven to earth. So incarnation. Second thing is atonement. He had to take the shame on himself. He took the shame on himself in that moment that he did not deserve, just like Jesus took the shame upon himself. So verse 28, the father begins pleading with the son. So it's this idea of beseeching his son, pleading with his son. You know, step away from this judgment and just, you know, come, come with grace into the party. Celebrate with us over your brother. So the father's begging his son to forgive and join the celebration. And an interesting reversal has taken place. The younger son who had wandered away from the father all of a sudden finds himself at home in the father's house. The brother who had stayed there the whole time and never wandered off, all of a sudden finds himself outside of his father's home. So what we learn is that you can be lost even though you appear to be found. Remember, this is directed towards the Pharisees and the scribes. If anybody had a case to make that they were at home with the father, it would be the Pharisees and scribes. They lived very strict lives in order to maintain this tight relationship with God. But Jesus seems to be saying... Your attitude towards lost sinners reveals you don't know God at all. You think you know him, but you don't know him at all. Because what most gladdens God's heart is when a sinner repents. But you are appalled that they are being received by Jesus. You're being received to God through a relationship with Jesus. He says you're lost even though you appear to be in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. So the older brother, unimpressed with the father's generosity. Next, we see the older brother is unsympathetic towards his younger brother's situation. The father pleads with his son here. And in verse 29, the older son responds to his dad. He goes on in this moment to attach his relationship to the father with service. You notice there that he says in the text, All these years I've been serving you, slaving on your property, doing all the things you needed to be done. Never doing something wrong, always doing what's right. And so he's connecting his relationship with God through service. I've done, I've done, I've done. But there's no comment here about love. There's no comment here about a relational bond between he and his father. It's all this transactional thing. I've been serving you all these years, and you've never even so much as given me a beef stew to celebrate with my friends for my loyalty to you. And I think it's important for here for us to point out obedience, diligence, they're important. But Jesus prioritized two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Both seem to be missing among the Pharisees and the scribes. This older brother shows no sign of love at all. No love for his brother. Look at how he refers to his brother in verse 30. He says, this son of yours. Doesn't even want to call him. You know, he, he's not my anything. He's your son, not my anything. And it sounds a lot like the way the Pharisees and the scribes would have referred to their fellow countrymen who were tax collectors and sinners. They're not going to think of them as brothers and sisters. They're too far gone. They're way outside of the inheritance that we should have as uh, children of Israel. 
There's no way they could find acceptance into the kingdom of heaven. They have wandered. They have squandered. They're gone, long gone. Now, I want you to notice in verse 30 how he starts recounting the wrong that the young man had committed. Squandered all of his inheritance with prostitutes. Pharisees tend to be experts when it comes to confessing other people's sins. It's easy for them to point out what everybody else has done wrong. I know we like to say, well, those Pharisees, they're terrible, but let's just be honest. How often do we do the same thing? We just look at these people and we point out what they're doing wrong, what they've done wrong, how terrible they are. Can't believe they act that way. Never once considering they're spiritually lost and Jesus is seeking to save them. We can assume the older brother would have preferred justice over grace in this situation. He would have preferred his um, brother repay in order to be received back into his father's good graces. For some people, grace is not only amazing, it's infuriating. Grace is not just amazing, it's infuriating. How could God be gracious to somebody who rejected him, who did such evil, who was so defiant, who maybe grew up hearing all the right things, but then walked away without any consideration for what God had done for him? Grace is so infuriating, especially if we feel like we've earned grace which means we don't understand grace, right? Daryl Bach writes, we risk missing the joy of a relationship with God when we turn him into a scorekeeper. When we only see our relationship with God as if he is keeping score, keeping check, divine point system, you did this right, you did that wrong, they did that wrong, you did this right, whatever it might be, then we take all of the joy out of relationship because it's just a point system, right? It robs us of joy. It leads us to look down on others. The Pharisees were trusting in their good works for salvation. They were not depending on grace. They would earn their way into God's good graces. I'm not going to just get a free ride here. Let me be clear. Nobody will get into the Father's house by pleading their own worthiness. I deserve this. Look at what I've done all these years. Lord, Lord, look what we did and said in your name. Every one of us deserves judgment and separation from God forever. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. The only hope that we have of salvation, of being received into the Father's home, is by grace through faith in Jesus. None of us come to God deserving entry into his kingdom. We fall short of the mark. Every one of us, doesn't matter where we come from, doesn't matter what we've done, who we grew up here and where we went to church, whatever it might be, he took upon himself the sins of the world and we need him to take our sins upon him. Have you believed Jesus for salvation today? Or are you depending on your own worthiness to be received by God? The older brother is unimpressed, he's unsympathetic, and then we find the story is unresolved. The father who's described in Jesus' parable of the lost son here is an incredible dad. I mean, no act of mercy is too great for him. He willingly goes to his younger son. Now he willingly goes out to his older son. His compassion never ceases. It reminds me of what we read in Lamentations 3.22. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. Just when we think 
that Jesus might walk away from the Pharisees and the scribes for their self-righteous indignation. I want you to take note here. Jesus deals tenderly with them. He doesn't just rebuke them and send them on their way. He speaks to them. And we can hear what the father is saying to them through what the father is saying to his older son. Son, you've always been with me. You're you're children of Israel. You've tried to prioritize the law. He says, all that I have is yours. Well, they they were to inherit, just like that older son was to inherit all that was left. Bonafide children of God. He doesn't bring condemnation on them, but he brings a plea. Come in and celebrate. Your brothers come home. The fact that the older brother who has always been with me is standing outside of the father's home makes it clear that proximity to the father is not the same as knowing the father, not the same as being relationship with the father. Those religious elites may have been the ones who appeared to be closest to God, but they clearly did not know him. They clearly did not understand what it was like to be in relationship with him. They could not see the father's heart for the lost. Now I want you to notice in verse 32, the father indicates the celebration is necessary. We had to celebrate. Why? He was lost and he came home. He was dead and now we found he is alive. Well, that makes it clear to us that God accepts repentant sinners no matter how far you've strayed. And I know you might think there is no way that God could forgive me for this. There is no way that the people of God would ever ever receive me because of that. But the Father, I can tell you, is waiting and he is watching. And his desire is to embrace you and to pour his affection on you and to welcome you home with shouts of joy. That's what the Father wants to do. Now I want you to notice how Jesus leaves the story unresolved. Son doesn't respond. We don't know what happens here. It just changes. If you look, new chapter, new story. What happens here? I think Jesus is leaving this story open to say, will you respond? Will you enter in? And he's speaking to the Pharisees and scribes. He's saying, come on in. Enter the kingdom of heaven. Celebrate that sinners are coming home. How did the Pharisees and scribes gather there and listening to Jesus? How did they respond in that situation? You know, we can only speculate. We have no clue specifically how they responded to these stories they heard. Very compelling to me. And you'd like to think that surely somebody was like, oh man, I've gotten this all wrong the whole time. Oh wow, I can totally identify with that story. But we don't know. Maybe one or two did. Maybe none of them did. I can tell you generally what they did. They arrested, had Jesus arrested. They totally rejected the Father's love. They were so appalled by it. They had him put on trial. They had him crucified. They could not accept grace through Jesus they rejected the Lord so here we end up where we began what will we do in response to God's heart for the lost you know some of us have been found so long for have been found for so long we forget what it's like to be lost and we start to live as if we earned our righteousness we earned our right standing before God we start to live as if I deserve every blessing I get from God I deserve forgiveness because I've been found for so long, I I just forget what it's like to be lost and desperate for salvation that comes only by grace through faith. And we begin to think that it's our own righteousness that will save us. A proper response to this message is, first of all, to consider whether I truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ.
The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come. That he has shed his own blood so that I can find forgiveness. And all I could ever earn before God is rejection. But through Jesus, I can be forgiven. Through Jesus, I can have a relationship with the Father. Now you might say, but I'm here at church. I've been in church my whole life. I've been a Christian my whole life. You can be lost even though you feel like you're at home with the Father. So I would first check, check yourself. Do you understand the gospel? The second thing I would say is we respond to the message by contemplating whether we are standing in the older brother's shoes, condemning those who are coming to Christ, or whether we join in the celebration to receive sinners who repent. My prayer is that we walk away from Luke 15 with a burden for the lost. So burdened for those who are far from God that we take advantage of opportunity to share Jesus with him. And that we have the boldness to speak up and share what has happened in our life. That Jesus has set me free. That's what I hope we do. What kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church like the older brother here who think only of ourselves? Or are we going to be a church who joins with our Savior Jesus in seeking to save the lost. Our Father in God, we thank you that you came and rescued us. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. Even as we were your enemies, you received us unto yourself through through your shed blood on the cross. Now, Father, we pray for the many that need to receive Jesus today. God, I pray that you would speak to hearts as we come to a time of response. I pray for many to say yes to you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our choir is going to sing, and we're going to have a time of response. Perhaps the Lord's speaking to your heart. You might be like the prodigals in the far country, and you're like, it's time for me to come home. You might be like the elder brother, and you need to say, you know what? I've been thinking that I'm saving myself through my own righteousness. Maybe you've got somebody on your heart who's far from the Lord, and today, during this time of response, you just need to say, God, I want to live on mission for you. Live on mission with you. As our choir sings and you respond right where you are or I'll be down front if you've got a decision you want to make here and you want to talk to a pastor, you can come forward or just right where you are, you might call out to the Lord in prayer. So I want you to invite you to stand as our choir sings, even now, you respond.